0: Verses 1 through 13. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare way, who, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you. I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated.
1: Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask you for hearts to receive. What you have for us today? We know we are always in need, even when we don't think we might be. We pray that you would um, help those who are here to see how needy they are of Christ's love and his compassion and his mercy towards us. Lord, I pray for the families in this church. I know there are some here and they're struggling in their marriages. Some struggling with parenting the child that they have been given and they're battling with how to handle them. Some who might be struggling in their careers and the work that they're doing and wondering how that's going to work out. We know, Lord, there's some who are struggling with health issues who are in need of your kindness and mercy in that regard. And we know some here may be struggling with distance from God and wondering if he's forgotten them. We ask, Lord, that you would um, help the gospel come to bear on all those situations You'd bring healing. That we wouldn't just say we believe the gospel in word, but in practice. That it would show up in the way that we love each other and what we put our trust in and all those things. So we ask you to do that this week and in the coming days of our lives that we would know the gospel in an experiential way in a transforming way. In Jesus' name, amen. Jonathan Pennington wrote an article, I think it was called, God Wants You to Be Happy, with a little asterisk at the end. I think sometimes when we think of our lives in this world, we do think of the sorrow of it, and there's no doubt that as a reality But God really does want you to be happy in the fullest sense. He wants you to experience happiness that really is happiness. Not just short term like happiness. He wants you to delight. He wants you to delight in all types of things. Yet we know there is still sorrow here in this life. There is something where There's something that transcends this present life and the struggles and the dangers and the difficulties of it, and it's a story, and it's a story about a person, and that's what we are looking at today in the Gospel of Mark. We are wanting to be happy in the fullest possible way, and the Gospel writer wants you to be happy in the fullest way. He wants there to be a joy in your life that transcends some of the momentary difficulties of the present. And they are there and they are real. So sometimes when people kind of make it out to be like, oh, we, don't, we're not, we don't want you to be happy or God doesn't want you to be happy, I, I think that's a, there are, there's a time for sorrow. We studied all that in Ecclesiastes. But the pursuit of joy in God is the greatest pursuit of your life and ultimately is the the place of true happiness. And so I just think we need to keep that in mind as we're moving through this old, tormented world. Uh, And as tormented people at times where you're struggling and you're crying out and wondering, like, what is, and all of us are looking at, what concept or strategy might help us overcome that? And the Scripture says it's found in a person. That is, that is the concept or strategy. Some of you may say, well, I need all these other things, but it's still, again, there are all kinds of things that benefit us in this life, but it's, the Scriptures are centered on a person, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who became man. He is, it's a story of a king who came to rescue the fallen old creation to restore his kingdom. It's, it's a grand narrative. It's, it was preached before Mark ever wrote this gospel, and it is something you and I need to see and hear. There are all types of troubles, global things and personal things that all of us face. There are things that some of you are really good at, you know, like not thinking about, like maybe I don't always think about all the global struggles going on in the world. But then there are things in your life where you say, no, I am worried about those, but I'm really good at masking them. And sometimes the more prominent you are and the more you have in this uh, world, the less apt you are to show some of the sorrow. But ultimately, what we're trying to do is say, listen, let's go back and say this whole thing is about the fact that there's a king and a kingdom and he has to rescue it, and he does so. And the Scriptures present that. And so whenever we're struggling with all of these different things, we need to return back to this grand narrative, this this study of the gospel, the good news, something that brings happiness to the soul beyond what you may be experiencing in the moment. So when we're looking at, kind of, you think about the Gospel of Mark, um, The guy, one of the guys wrote, let me think of his name, Edwards, he says, uh, he calls this the gospel appears in person. That's the way to kind of think about these first 13 verses. And so you see a testimony from Mark in these verses. And he starts out and he's going to kind of give the purpose of what he's writing. Then you'll see the testimony of the prophets and John the Baptist who is called the forerunner. You may have heard that. And then the testimony of God in, in the baptism of Jesus where you'll see uh, the Father, Son, and Spirit, they are together uh, in unity. And then you see kind of the uh, the testimony of the great antagonist, I would call it. Where Satan is, it, it, Jesus goes to meet Satan. You know, and so you see that and you see him, you see his desire to destroy the kingdom and yet jesus is going to prevail and so that's where we are today so let's look at the purpose of this the beginning of the gospel of jesus christ the son of god when you hear the beginning in the beginning your minds immediately probably go to genesis chapter one in the beginning god created when you see this the beginning of the gospel of jesus christ here. It's almost like uh, a new beginning. That, that's what it's saying. A new beginning has come. The Son of God has come down, becoming a human being in Jesus Christ. He has come. And all of those promises of the, new, the, the creation that was broken, and all the promises of saying like there will be a new creation, a redemption, are coming to bear here. So we could say as important as the creation story is, so is the incarnation story. Because you have something new coming to life here. This is new news. It is good news. It is great news. If you think about, um, and and you can read different writers will talk about this, but this term uh, euangelion, good news, when you hear that term, it may not mean that much to you but it was used during that time it would be used maybe at the when someone went to herald the news about a battle we won it's good news it was declaring good news and we want good news we need good news some of you probably spend more time sending out bad news y'all ever get tired of doing that texting bad news facebooking like bad news Sharing more and more bad news. Why do you delight so much in expi- like expounding on the bad news? He, this here is like, the, he's expounding on the good news. There's good news. It's the best news. And so one of the things that's interesting, just kind of thinking about it, is even in the time of Rome, uh, p- many people, of course, would take the emperor and train, you know, turn him into a god, kind of. And so they said of Augustus uh, Caesar Augustus' birthday, it signaled the beginning of the good news for the world. Because they even thought of him as a god. And so when when John, I mean, I'm sorry, when Mark is saying here, um, here's the good news, he, he's explaining it to you in a very clear way. And by the way, just something I read this week, I believe it was by Edwards. He says, you know, most of the time it was used in the plural form, just kind of like. Any good news. In, in John's gospel, it's in a singular. And he's saying this is the good news of God in Jesus Christ. And really saying there is no other. There is no other. This is the great news. This is the thing that you can delight in. This is God breaking into human history to do what he promised to do. This is the news that should transform your life. It's like uh, Isaiah would speak of this good news, and he said it's kind of like God's final saving act when peace and good news and release from oppression and all these things would come. This is the good news. It's being heralded by John in this gospel message. We talked about it's not just a biography, it is a message. It is being declared, it is going out to all the nations to hear. And believe this good news. The fullness of time has come. The good news has come. The gospel has come. And Jesus would come, live, die, be buried, and rise again. And he would work in the church. And he would work into their hearts this good news. Another writer said the kingdom that God inaugurates is bodily present in Jesus of Nazareth. So just, we need to see that. We need to understand that. We need to consider that. And I think sometimes when you're thinking about this good news, you need to stop and say, like, really, honestly, whenever you think of the hardest part of your life in the moment, whatever that may be, it may be helpful for you to return to this good news and say, how does this reshape the way I'm looking at this thing? That's what you, when you read like, uh, let's say in Ephesians, where he'll speak of different attitudes or different relationships, and all of the things, marriages and uh, child, children and all a list of stuff, and authorities and All of these things, when he talks about all of those things, he always roots it and grounds it in the good news of the gospel. And he helps you reorient your life around that good news. That's just something I think we have to do and remind ourselves of. Now, that's the key here. We're speaking of this coming. We're speaking of the kingdom coming down to earth. And then we, he continues, and there's this testimony of the prophets and John the Baptist, and this, this, this kind of, they spoke of a forerunner, and then we see the forerunner in, like, real time. In verse 2 and 3, I will send my messenger before your face who will prepare the way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. There are really, like, three Old Testament quotations here that you'll notice, Exodus 23, 20 and Malachi 3, 1 are kind of the messenger part. And then in Isaiah 43, the voice of the one crying out, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the Baptist had a task. It was to point to the one to follow. It was his purpose. It was what God had him to do. He didn't live a long time. He didn't have a, a much more of a message. He wasn't trying to do anything other than to announce the coming of the Lord. Malachi 4, 5, and 6, you could just mark that, and you could go back and look at it at some point. But a lot of discussion around John is uh, the discussion about Elijah. Elijah, who was swept up into the heavens, you know, they were looking forward to his return. In some Jewish texts, they would talk about Elijah Not just speaking of the coming of the Messiah, but the coming of God Himself. That's bound up in Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. John the Baptist is bringing, heralding that message. The appearing of Jesus of Nazareth is the coming of the Messiah, the Savior, and it is the coming of God. Who else is going to save us? throughout all of Old Testament history, the greatest of men, the greatest rescuers, none of them would be able to do what Jesus did. They were flawed. They were men. But He is the God-man. And He comes. And the fulfillment of God reigning is found in Jesus and you see in part the first coming he breaks into human history and we await the second coming where he'll restore everything in mark the way of God is ultimately the way of Jesus to the cross where he will make war and defeat all of our enemies So you continue forward in verse 4. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John is identified as in the wilderness like the badlands of Israel. It's barren and dry. He's calling them out. He's calling them out of the cities and the places and calling them into this kind of wilderness place. A place where deliverance could take place. A place that reminded them of deliverance. A place like Sinai, right? Where God delivered His people. A place of calling them out because there's a new exodus taking place here. He's also in the place of Elijah where that would remind you of those things. There's a lot of things that should come into your mind when you are thinking about this. John the Baptist calls them out of the comforts of their life to a baptism of repentance. Their baptism was a symbol of moral and spiritual birth, of new birth. In pre-Christian kind of Judaism, the necessity of repentance before the coming of God was something that you would see. Before the coming of God and His Spirit being poured out upon them. So some people would look at this and say, that's kind of... What is taking place? You know, other people say, well, it's, it's probably t- uh, tied to that Qumran community that, uh, you know, the Dead Sea Scrolls were found with where they did all these ceremonial kind of washings. But ultimately, it seems more likely that John's recalling and really reviewing God's foundational covenant with Israel at Sinai. Remember what happened? The people were to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So what did they do? They had to go and wash their clothes and purify themselves before entering into covenant at Sinai. It's, a, it's the sign of repentance here. They're washing. It's a picture. It's sim, it's, it's a, it, it reveals like what is so supposed to be going on in them as they are agreeing with God about their situation. And they're coming in humble, like, brokenness over their situation. They're preparing themselves for the coming king. He's calling people out from both like Jerusalem and all the surrounding areas. Later, the New Testament people, the New Covenant community will be called a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. And so it, it, it's, it's kind of one of those things where you're saying, and, and when they're called to that, they're called to repent and believe. You know, in believing, you could say there's repentance, but it's, it's identifying the need of a cleansing It's the picture here. The external symbol in John's baptism was to be accompanied by an internal repentance, a change of mind. You see that in the text? A change of mind about your sin, a change of mind about who God is, a change of mind about like what it means to be in the presence of a holy God and, and what needs to be addressed in your life. Verse 5, and all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Has a a real impact on all around him, but it's really not about John. It's really not about John. It's about the coming king. Verse 6, again, this reminds you of Elijah. You see his clothing and what he's wearing and all of those things that are going on. It's, um, Uh, all of this is kind of like it's a reminder to say, hey, remember all those promises in the Old Testament about uh, one representing um, uh, or coming before as a a representative to herald the the coming Christ? Verse 7, he preached saying, 'After After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. Now this is interesting. He, he'll say later, he must become greater, I must become less. And he's coming and he's, he's saying, as I come to you, I want you to understand there's one coming that is greater than me. He is coming to rescue you in the fullest and finalest way possible. The one that is coming has the ability, we'll find out later, to bind Satan. He has the authority over Satan's dark kingdom. The powers over the present age. The king, is, the king that's coming, he can't be overcome by those. He will overcome them. You will see that in his life, and you will see it ultimately in his death. And John shows in humility that he has submitted to him. He says in verse 8, what I'm doing is inferior to what he will do. I'm going to baptize you with water, a symbol of you repenting and believing in the Messiah that's to come. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. What he's doing is greater than what I'm doing. That's what he's saying. You know, in the Old Testament, when the Holy Spirit was to come, that would come because God brought the Spirit. So the picture here, I think as you see this claim, Jesus is the greater one. He will come in the power of God. The spiritual power of the messianic baptism, the Holy Spirit coming on us, right, transcends what John is doing out there. So, the gospel appears in a person, we see its purpose, we see the forerunner who was announced and now has come, and then we come to the baptism of Jesus, which is really, you could say, God testifying, God's testimony to what is taking place. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. This this is a picture of something that is done to him. He is being baptized by John, but he He's come like willingly. He becomes at the the forefront on, on, on the stage, you could say. Jesus came and was baptized by John. And notice what happens when this takes place. The heavens are going to be open. The Spirit's going to descend. All of this stuff pointing back to like Old Testament imagery of the end time kingdom coming. That's kind of the picture that you will see. And you see the triune God witnessing the grand event of the work that has been promised from before the world was created this work within the godhead that had been solidified before the world was ever made verse 10 and when he came out of the water immediately we saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit dispensing on him like a dove the opening of the heavens at baptism inaugurates the long-awaited return of God's spirit, God dwelling with man. Remember, there was 400 years of silence, and as we silence, and you're thinking like, what is going to happen here? God made all these promises. Will he keep them? And all of a sudden, this comes crashing down, Heaven's torn open. And God comes down. That, that's the idea, the presence of God dwelling. And again, the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit cooperating together in this working out of the kingdom coming down. This is good news. This is something that should change the way you think of life. When we think about the rescue of God, the Spirit falling, this should remind you both of the Red Sea, when God comes down and parts the waters and guides the people. It should remind you of the temple being torn in two when the spirit comes crashing down uh, and the, the, we, we, in the sense of like when the work that's being done here, heaven's being opened. Like, and, and really ben and I had a big discussion about this last night. Sorry, I just mentioned his name. I should not still so see that. Uh, but we discussed this in a big way last night about what is that, that to come into the presence of God and to know his... His presence with us. I mean, that's, that's a huge deal. The Spirit falling on uh, them and, and heaven coming down is a big picture for us to understand what has taken place. In the baptism and the crucifixion, we see these supernatural occurrences revealing that Jesus is the Son of God. So it's, I think it's important for us to just consider that. It also shows us that Jesus has been filled and equipped for the ministry by the Spirit. It's one of the things that you see. And then the next thing you see is there's a voice from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I'm well pleased. One other time this will be said, said about Jesus. And it's in the transfiguration. So in his baptism and in the transfiguration, God is going to speak of him being his beloved son and this reminds you of something in the old testament where this would be spoken of as this mysterious servant comes on the scenes and and he is like um he like the light has come has shown up you know and so you know when you think of all different types of people in the old testament they are called friends of god and servants of god and chosen ones of god and men after god's own heart but only with israel and the king Are they called like sons? But this is the son in whom he is pleased. It means that when you look at all the others, you say, they failed. You look at Jesus, he prevailed in every way. He was obedient in every way. He is God's son that he is pleased with. It gives him the ability to do a a work that no other could do. He represents us in a perfect way. He is the son that we could never be. And by our union with him, we can be adopted into his family. That's kind of the picture here. As he's empowered by the Spirit too, I think it's important to see that only God could act in the way that he did. Only God could do what this, this king is doing, this heavenly king. He has come and he is doing things that no one else could do. He is reversing All of the curse. That's what what He's doing. He's forgiving people's sins. He's healing the sick. He's casting out demons. He's telling the true intent of things. He's showing perfect wisdom. All of that stuff Jesus is doing. And so when we're looking at this, we're saying to ourselves, Jesus has come. The gospel, the good news has come in a person. The, The forerunner spoke of it. The baptism, God identifies to us, this is what this is. God speaks to us and he heralds that message. And then when we see God's son meet the adversary there, it's in a way of him saying like, when he goes out to meet him, it is proof, it demonstrates that Jesus really is the faithful one. It shows us, when you're looking at that, it shows us that God's Son, truly the one we're looking at, is truly God's Son. It says in verse 12 that the Spirit immediately drove Him out into the wilderness. He's been driven out. He is not just kind of walking along and ends up in the wilderness. He has been guided by the Spirit to go into that place, the wilderness. He's not in the garden to meet Satan. He's not in a perfect place. It is a frightening place. It is a scary place. So once his public ministry has been brought to the forefront, then immediately he goes to meet the, his, the, the, the antagonist of the whole story. The one who sought to destroy the kingdom. The one who has the, the prince of the power of the air, the son who's kind of guiding the sons of disobedience. He goes out to meet him. And John wants you to know at the outset, whatever you see going on, Know this, that Jesus has already met with Satan and he defeats him. Satan has no power over him, no authority over him. He goes 40 days and 40 nights into the wilderness to face Satan, to be tempted by him. And Satan inadvertently is a witness to that. He is a witness to the Son of God having the power to stand against the foe that has sought to destroy the kingdom. He is ushering in the new day. The new day is dawn. Light has shone. And all of the darkness now will, will be faced. And He will defeat it. This is why it's good news. Because the darkest aspects of your life, the darkest aspects of your soul, the ugliest things that you have ever seen, the most frightening things, The things at which you wish you would never see. The things that you don't want to see. All of that darkness bound up here as he faces the great enemy of God and His people. And he prevails. He willingly goes. He does the will of God as he does always. In verse 13, he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan and he was with the wild animals. Just a picture of, I think there of just the, the situation, the frightening nature of it. Sometimes with my boys, we'll go to certain things and somebody will say, like, you know, it's like, um, it's almost like uh, Scooby and Shaggy, you know, like stepping into places. And it's like everybody's scared, you know. And we'll say, ooh. Like last night we came up here to play ping pong. You know how you go up to the church and there was one light on. And and they were like, uh, who left that light on? I don't know. You know, and it's like, somebody did. Think somebody's in there? Mm, y'all want to go in first? No, 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 no. You know? But I think it's important when we say this, Jesus in the darkest of places, not just make-believe, not just stuff that makes a child nervous, rightly so, right? He goes into the darkest of places, and He has tested and proven to be the divine Son that the Father said that he was Matthew and Luke will speak more of this but you just understand Jesus would not bypass the cross and accept the crown until he had first given his life he was to lay down his life for his people And so, I think it's just important to understand that. His test of faithfulness showed him to be the faithful son. And when we finish this out today, I think it's just for all of us to say, why is this such good news? It's because all throughout the whole Bible, there's this longing for God to be restored to man. That's the whole Bible is about how can we be restored? Because if if things are right, Things are right. If things are restored, then all of what humanity ought to be will be restored. The place will be restored. The people restored. Everybody's longing for the return of the king and his kingdom to be set up. And everybody that fights against it to be knocked down. And so we're seeing as Mark is is explaining this to us he says this is the good news that is the final good news that brings joy to the human heart because you see that this one that has come is coming to save a people for himself so that they can forever be restored and we have a tendency to not see that and we we forget it day after day after day a lot of our wars with one another a lot of our fights with our spouses, a lot of our struggles with our children, a lot of the struggles with those in authority over us, a lot of the things that we see that darken this present world and feel like a this this uh oppressive thing going on, all of that stuff that's real stuff, but Jesus has come and the good news of the kingdom has been announced and it is explained that He came to this earth and it, his, his reign is inaugurated there. And the fullness of that is yet to come. But, but it did come crashing down. And He has transformed lives and He is doing that today. And if you are today, you are in Christ. If you have trusted in Him, you are no longer outside of blessing. You are in His blessing. You are no longer separated from the Spirit. His Spirit indwells you. You are no longer like in a situation where you're damned and without hope, but you've been forgiven. And so He is with us. He's not left us. He sent His Spirit to guide us and direct us even now. And so the real proper response today is to say, whatever I'm afraid of. Whatever I'm afraid of here whatever is frightening me, whatever is frustrating me, whatever I'm not really able to fight against here, whatever I'm most struggling with in this present life. One songwriter said, all those things, whatever you're afraid of, they're afraid of Him. And the Gospel is a story of the King coming and showing they fear him he has defeated all of our enemies does it feel like it all the time no but i must continue to go back to the story the story that was written of old promised throughout the ages come to fruition in the new testament and then awaiting its return the king has come and the king will come again and the king wants you he wants your life He's going to call you to follow him. But he is not following you to a sad place. You're not not following him to only like sadness. You're going to pass through this present darkness into the light of the glory of the sun. So you hold fast to that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask for the ability to see what we cannot see with our own eyes. We ask for this to come alive to us, to change us, to transform us. We ask, Lord, for all who are here to be reshaped by this message, to be transformed by it. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would stand with me at this time.